It's Zotime. Welcome to the Zotime show presented by hoopsandbrews.com. I will be your host for the night, Daniel Belts. Go ahead and give this uh, show a follow on Twitter at, at Zotime Podcast, as well as SoundCloud and Apple Podcast. Uh, with a Twitter page, you'll catch me basically talking about everything Lakers daily, whether it's how they're playing or who they're playing, or basically what's going to happen this summer. You can catch it all there. And well, Laker Nation, the Lakers have finally hit the 30-win plateau. It has been a long time coming. I mean, we haven't seen uh, the Lakers team hit 30 wins since the 2012-2013 season, a.k.a. the year Kobe went full Mamba when we had Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, and Pau Gasol. All three of those players were dealing with certain injuries, and, I mean, we were just shitty that year. And that's the year Kobe just basically went insane to make us make the playoffs. But he unfortunately went down that season with the Achilles tear. And yeah, it's been that long since we've made the playoffs or even just hit 30 wins. But as I've said, we just hit uh, win number 30 on the season after we beat the Cavs last night. And there's a lot of optimism around this Lakers team. And there should be. I mean, we have young talent and after enduring the past four years of not winning more than 27 games in a single year we are finally approaching the light at the end of that tunnel it's it was a dark light it was the worst four-year stretch of lakers history it was it was awful we won 17 games one year followed by 21 and last year we had 26 and i believe the very first year of the tank team won 27 games i mean it was hard. It was not pretty basketball. We had to deal with the likes of Robert Sacre getting minutes. I mean, Jesus. Robert Sacre. What a man. We also had, I believe, Chris Kamen get some minutes. It was just, it was a brutal stretch for Lakers basketball. But like I said, we are approaching the light at the end of the tunnel, and that game last night was insane. The uh, Lakers went up against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was the L.A. Braun game. It was it was just a pretty action-packed game for a game between a fourth seed in the East and the 11th seed in the West. It was so many storylines going into that game about LeBron and maybe becoming a Laker. And there was, Lakers were up for the challenge that night and just the pressure of the overall atmosphere. And you can tell by just watching that game on TV that there was a certain buzz in the crowd. It was, they cheered when LeBron got introduced. And I mean, they're basically already starting their free agent pitch towards LeBron with the fan interest. And it was a unique atmosphere, almost a playoff atmosphere, as you would say, in the Staples Center last night. It was cool just to have such a buzz around a regular season game back in LA. Like I said, LeBron James's free agency is soon approaching. And he is rumored to have a significant amount of interest in joining the Lakers. And it felt like a audition for every single Lakers player out there last night. Like it was a audition for how would Julius Randle pair with LeBron James? How would Lonzo fit with LeBron? How would everyone else fit with him as well? And for, their, for the most part, the Lakers basically passed every single test that needed to be made. And I rarely watch Cav games. I... I rarely watch any other games besides Laker games, and I know this probably won't happen for LeBron until the playoffs if he sees Kevin Durant, but normally you never see LeBron James get outplayed because he is one of the greatest players of all time, and normally every single time he steps on the court, he is the best player on the court. 
And all I'm saying is last night, LeBron James was not the best player on the court. It was Julius Randle. Julius Randle went absolutely fucking nuts. And Julius Randle's only 23, and he's our Laker. He is... He's been with us for four years. He's dealt with all of this, and the entire world got to see what Julius Randle is able to provide for a NBA game, and it was dope. It, he got all the headlines this morning besides a couple of lucky plays LeBron had, and just more on Julius Randle stealing the show from LeBron uh, later on in the show. And just another storyline from last night's game was uh, Isaiah Thomas. It was the fuck you game to the Cavs for giving up on him, what, like 19 games into his actual season. He was their, he was supposed to be their savior when he was healthy to help LeBron get to the finals again, but it just was a, it was a horrible pairing between the two players, and I mean, it, LeBron was probably one of the reasons why Isaiah Thomas got traded from the Cavs, and so this was Isaiah Thomas's revenge game, and Honestly, it was the best game that he played as a Los Angeles Laker. He was efficient, he was under the control, and he was trying hard. He seemed like... I've seen him play this season with the Lakers, and there were at times where it seems that he would only try on offense and not really care on defense, but Isaiah Thomas was hustling. He was diving for loose balls, he was playing like he had no hip injury, and like he was back to being the IT, and... I mean, what a game. He had 20 points, 9 assists, 5 rebounds, and that's a pretty solid stat line, 29-5. and five. And he just, he was built for high-stakes games. He is Mr. Fourth Quarter, or King in the Fourth, and he lives for that pressure. He's the big guy, he's a big game performer, and it showed last night. Lakers also got solid production from uh, their role players in Brooke Lopez and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Those are kind of the vets that Lakers have, and they've been consistent as anyone has been on the Laker team since probably uh, January. They've Every single game, they've played well, they've contributed, and, I mean, they're a huge reason why we are winning as many games as we are. I know we like to give a lot of love to our young core and they do and they definitely do deserve it but two players that do get overlooked are Brooke Lopez and KCP they will both be free agents at the end of the year but like they've helped this Laker team win games and just get closer to the playoffs and they deserve a lot of credit for that and I hope that if we absolutely do strike out in free agency I hope that maybe we could kind of keep them in LA just for like on a one-year deal in case like I said, we strike out and don't have any other options. We have been playing very well as of late with them in the starting lineup, so I don't know, maybe we can run, a, run it back next year and see what happens. So as far as the like audition itself, like as, uh, uh, to go with Julius Randle, Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo were both out there basically showing off what they can provide to a team that might feature LeBron, and while Kuzma and Lonzo both did struggle from the floor shooting-wise, they were both able to contribute in their own ways. Uh, Lonzo had a couple good defensive possessions. Kuzma had a couple good defensive defensive possessions. Kuzma was hustling and um, basically grabbing as many rebounds as he could. Lonzo was setting up others, playing just perfect team basketball. And like I said, while his shot was off, I mean, he still was making winning plays while he was out there on the court. And I just feel like it was as good of a showcase that the Lakers could have done without Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart. This was... 
we won by, I believe, 15 or so. And we just, we dominated basically the entire second half. And almost, we were up, I believe, after the second quarter all the way through. Like, it was never in doubt that the Lakers were going to win. It was just by how much and who was going to get the stats. And it's just, this young Laker team is putting it together and they're having a very nice season. They are now 16-10 and 10 against the East. And that's just... That's a nice record to have that shows that you can beat the teams in the cakewalk conference that LeBron gets to coast in. And if the Lakers were in the Eastern Conference, it's not a it's not that far of a stretch to believe that Lakers could make the playoffs in the East because like I said, they are sixteen and ten. They're above five hundred. You get fifty two teams, uh you get fifty two games against teams in your own conference per year, and then thirty outside. So if the Lakers were going to continue this like kind of uh, record-wise, they would be about, I believe, 33. They'd probably be 33-19 and 19 in their own conference, which would probably be having them close to playoff contention. And it's just, it makes you wonder, could the Lakers have made the playoffs if they played in the Eastern Conference and had like the schedule of a, say, like a Miami Heat or something else like that? Because I believe the Lakers would uh, replace the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference playoffs, like record-wise, I believe the Lakers are that good. And as well as the Lakers do have a winning record at home, which is what you want to do. You want to defend home court because you don't want to lose in front of your home fans. You want to put on a show. You want to just get as many wins at home as you can. Now let's get to the random Lakers set of the week. Since the start of the 2018 season... The Lakers have been hooping. They have a very impressive record of 19 and 12. Basically, the Lakers said, fuck it, new year, new me. And I believe they're one of the hottest teams in the NBA. 19 and 12 for a 31 game stretch isn't bad. I mean, it's pretty fucking good. Not a lot of teams in the NBA could do this. I would say probably 14 or so can, which means 16 can't. So. The Lakers are about average right now. I believe they were 16 in the NBA power rankings this week, which is fantastic. Even though we didn't start off that great, we are now catching fire at the end of the season and we're looking to just win as many games as we can going forward. But I just want to get into why I think this stretch of 19 and 12 at the start of the 2018 season matters so much. The Lakers... The Lakers were dealing with so much to basically start the season. We had uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope dealing with his legal issues in December. He shot horribly that month, and like it was obviously because of him going through his legal stuff, not being able to play on the road games. His, his head wasn't in the game, and we lacked a shooter and a defender at the two position. We didn't know how to cope with that because we were a young team. I mean, Lonzo and Ingram were only 20, Kuz is 22, Randall's 23, and we just didn't have the, didn't have the, basically, the guts, or that's a, I'd say they, they fought hard, and we just didn't have enough men to win games during that brutal stretch they had during December. Also, Lonzo and Ingram have missed a couple of games before the uh, January 2018 stretch, so with those two players out, like I said, we were undermanned, and just, we couldn't overcome uh, the adversity with that. To begin the season, Lonzo also had that insane shooting slump to start the season. So there are reasons why we were as bad as we were to uh, 
begin the season. I believe we were like 11 and 27 before we went on this 19 and 12 run. So, like, I'm not excusing them for playing like shit to begin the year, but there are reasons why. Luke also looked a bit over his head to start the season. His rotations were out of whack. It seemed like we just didn't know how to play the right way. And he basically confirmed this much when he said the Lakers basically went over no offense to begin the season. We just went over uh, defensive schemes, which is why the Lakers were great in defensive uh, rankings, but we were just god-awful offensively. Plus, Lonzo had that horrible stretch. And then I believe Brooke Lopez also missed some time in December, which made our scoring output just that much tougher to get up to. But since 2018, the Lakers have not only been winning games, They've been putting winning streaks together and just putting in work. I believe they've gone on three separate four-game or more uh, winning streaks since 2018, which is fan-fucking-tastic. It seems Luke has hit all the right buttons with who's in, who's out. If we're dealing with an injury, he... Like, the biggest move I think he has made this season is when he replaced Tyler Ennis with Brandon Ingram at the point guard position when Lonzo was hurt. And that was... Right there is Luke's best uh, coaching job as him being the actual head coach because he did coach the Warriors to like a 24-0 start, but that was with Kerr's system and Kerr's players. This is Luke's team, and it feels like that was his I'm-the-head-coach move going forward and that it's done wonders. Uh, KCP has been great since January. He's one of the leading three-point shooters in the league. He's playing hard. He's playing smart. We're not seeing... We're not seeing not seeing chucking KCP anymore. We're just seeing KCP taking open shots within the flow of the game. Lonzo has had a hell of a second half of the season. He has shown why he was selected with the second pick. The shooting slump is over. He's averaging, I believe, 13-7-7 off of like 42%. Um, Three-point shooting within the past like 10 or so games. Brandon Ingram has also showed why he was selected number two as well he's been playing fantastic when he's not injured and it's just it's great to see him kind of close the gap uh, from him and ben simmons because people wanted to say ben simmons was this insane player that was just miles ahead of brandon ingram but during this stretch the lakers have gone on he's closed that gap tremendously also julius randall in the starting lineup has produced results and tyler ennis not playing Basically, meaningful minutes is why I want to praise Luke again and why I think we've gone on the stretch. It's not that he's a bad person. It's just he doesn't provide us anything that we can use. He, When he's out there, it's just bad basketball. And Isaiah Thomas, as much as I wanted to ridicule him and just kind of like hate on what he would give us because he kind of had a bad track record... He's proved me wrong, and he's proven that he's been able to play in the system, and the Lakers are flourishing. They're, like I said, 19-12 since the start of the year. That's almost on track with the Golden State Warriors, who are probably going to win the finals again this year. Now I want to get to the main topic at hand, which we'll be going over basically for an extended period of time. This is going to uh, come in with the curious case of Julius Randle. It's just the Lakers' priority heading into the offseason, their main priority, the minute it hits July 1st, is to pay Julius Randle right away, keep him in L.A. He is a beast. He is a monster. And we all saw the game against the Cavs. He, he outplayed LeBron. It was just pure poetry from the Kentucky Wildcat. 
He's only 23, and he's only going to get better. Julius Randle put up 36 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 blocks, and 1 steal. That is... I never thought Julius Randle would ever put a game like that together. I never saw him getting anywhere close to that stat line. I saw like a 28, 12, and 5, which is still pretty far away from that stat line. And it wasn't just the numbers that he put up. It was how he did it, how efficient and just... He looked like he was barely playing, yet he was dominating. He was bullying people. He was outrunning you. He was outjumping you. He was just doing all the little things it takes to just win the NBA game. He was also 8 of 10 from the free throw line, which is, in my opinion, is huge. We need good free throw shooting for the rest of the year. And it'll bode well for him in the future of his NBA career if he's able to hit anywhere close to 80%. Now, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He was 14 of 18 from the field. For Julius Randle, that's insane. He's an undersized power forward who doesn't have the greatest of length, and he also doesn't have like a reliable three-point shot yet. But he was 77.8% from the field. That's efficient. He shot the ball 18 times for 36 points. And like I said, he did that without making a single three. That is almost unheard of to get two points per shot attempt without making a three. That is, like, you almost have to make every single one of your shots for that to happen if you don't take a three. But yet, he was able to make eight of ten free throws to kind of, like, counter uh, balance that. Now, I want to thank uh, Chris Palmer, NBA, for this next stat that I'm going to read off. I had a feeling that he was in this kind of, uh, this kind of category, but... There are a couple of Lakers that have done this when they've got 36 points, 14 rebounds, and 7 assists in a single game. The Lakers to do so are followed. Elgin Baylor, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Shaq, Kobe, and Powell. Those are all Hall of Famers, except for Kobe and Powell. Those are all people that have had their jerseys retired, except Powell, which will have a... Um, he will have his jersey retired by the Lakers, hopefully, if we do the right thing. And Kobe also will be inducted into the Hall of Fame as well as Powell. Julius Randle joins that category. That is probably the best category that you want to be in regarding the Lakers because that's an insane stat line and only Hall of Famers have done that. And I think that Last night with the game against the Cavs, the NBA was kind of put on notice with how much Julius Randle has grown since he first came into the league. This is his fourth year, but like he lost the first year to his injury, and then he he had his um his ups and downs since basically the beginning of his career. After that injury, he dealt with not starting, not getting that many minutes, and it's just he's grown so much as a player, and like we'll get into that even later in the show. The Lakers are currently 19-14 and 14 when Julius Randle's in the starting lineup. Just goes to show you how valuable he is to this starting lineup and just to this team. We have a winning record when he plays, and it's not even in like by a little margin. It's by a pretty wide margin. And so he started for 33 games. We won 19 of them. When he was not starting, we were 11-22, and 22, which is the same... Um, Sample size is the first stat. So we are a way better team with him in the starting lineup than we are not. And this isn't a knock on Larry Nance who had the starting spot over Julius Randle. Because I do believe Larry Nance is a great complimentary, complimentary piece to an NBA team. As he's showing right now with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But 
Randall isn't just a complimentary piece. He's the whole package. He can be your go-to scorer, your go-to player. And we have seen that in the past 20 or so games. He is able to dictate how the game is played, the pace, and it's not just Lonzo Ball anymore now. It's Julius Randle can dictate that as well because he can get the rebound in transition and just fly. And one of the best plays I've ever seen Julius Randle came in a play against the Cavs last night in which he didn't actually score the ball himself. It was basically a span of 20 seconds. He was able to stay in front of LeBron, make the shot tough for LeBron, make LeBron miss, and then he hustled back in transition. Lonzo kicked the ball out to him at the three-point line. Randall was already running, so he just put the ball down, and he Euro-stepped. When he Euro-stepped, I thought he was going to go up with it because normally when Julius is that close to the basket, he doesn't pass it because he already has that motion. He's going to go up with it. This was the knock on Julius Randall that he has tunnel vision. The That's a downside of bully ball is you're just looking down and you're just going to go up with it yourself no matter how many people are in front of you, no matter if there's a wide open teammate around you, he's going to go up with it. And normally he only passes the ball to the left side of his body since that's where he's dribbling, so that's where he's looking. But no, he passed it to a wide open KCP for three. And KCP drilled it. And it was just a beautiful play, basically, for Julius Randle to make. He showed the strength and his defensive ability, and then he showed his IQ and passing ability to hit KCP for a wide open three. That play reminded me a lot of what Draymond Green brings to the Warriors. Kind of that team first, all hustle, defensive power forward. And Julius Randle was able to show that in basically in front of the entire world last night because he didn't just have one good defensive play, he had many. And while many would look to see his offensive numbers and how much they've improved, like around the rim, his efficiency from the field goal percentage or just his uh, increase in points, I think the biggest improvement this season for Julius Randle has been in his, in his ability to play defense. He worked on his strength and conditioning this summer, basically to get in shape to be able to run and then get a little bit bigger to hang with the big boys in the post. And I just believe that led to his improvement in both the perimeter defense and the post defense. Randall is a bull. He is strong enough to bang with the big boys down low. I believe to score on him effectively, you've got to be at least like seven feet like a Joel Embiid. Like when Joel Embiid and was being guarded by Randall, it was almost like an unfair fight because Joel Embiid is as strong and just a bit taller than uh, Julius Randall. So he had his way with him. But I believe if you aren't seven feet, there's absolutely no chance you will make uh, Julius Randle look foolish on defense because he can body you. He can make you not get into your position. He will make things tough for you to score down low. And you also have to have a shooting touch to go with the post game because if you can't shoot, there's no way you're going to be able to get around Julius Randle because he's a monster. He's quick and he's big for his size. And... Seven-footers that have a post-game and a shooting touch aren't many in the league, like Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid, Kristaps Porzingis, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins. That might be all five right there. So unless you have one of those players, Julius Randle can shut down your power forward or center. And this is just my personal opinion. If Julius Randle was seven feet, he would be a human cheat code 
he would basically be the LeBrons of centers because Julius Randle is a freak athletic athletically, and he would just be a mismatch anywhere. Now, I think Randle's athleticism and quickness, the stuff that he worked on this uh, summer getting in shape, getting in the lowest body fat that he's ever had, and just basically thinning down the baby fat and just getting more muscle, has helped him play with uh, the wing players on the per perimeter. Like I said, I'm starting to see a lot of Draymond Green and Julius Randle's ability to play defense. And I'm not the only one to notice this. Luke Walton basically told Julius Randle that he is the best one-on-one -on -one defender in the league. And yes, I get it. Luke Walton's hyping his boy up. He probably has a little bit of Laker bias, but there is some truth to that. A coach isn't just going to say, hey, you're the best one-on-one -on -one defender. Luke Walton sees this probably every day in practice or every time they step on a court. He sees the strides that Julius Randle has made defensively, and you hear just how well Luke Walton speaks about Julius Randle. It seems that Julius Randle is finally out of the doghouse that Luke Walton had him in, had him in for whatever reason, and he's just flourishing. And Randle has basically given back to Walton with just how much he's tried hard on defense and how much work he's put into being able to just contribute defensively. And he's no longer a scorer. He's able to play two ways. And I know a lot of people hate the two-way description of an NBA player, but Julius Randle can get a bucket and he can stop a bucket. So I know a lot of knuckleheads only care about offensive stats because they just check the box scores after the game to see whether a player was efficient or not or whether he actually provided something to a game. But hey, Julius Randle's offensive numbers are just as impressive as I think his defensive leap that he made this year. In his last 10 games, Julius Randle is averaging 20.9 points, 9.7 rebounds, and 4 assists per game. I'm just going to round those numbers up and say he's averaging 21 points, 10 rebounds, and 4 assists. That's a double-double. That's Basically, he's responsible for a little close to 30 points per game from the power forward position and also getting 10 rebounds. That is more than enough for a player to make a tremendous impact on a team. And if he was able to do that for a whole season, 21, 10, and 4, you are an all-star. I don't think I've seen anyone hit those numbers and not make an all-star team. It might have been Blake Griffin this year just because he was hurt. But if you can hit 21, 10, and 4, you will make an all-star team. Also, Julius Randle shot 58.4% from the field during this stretch. So not only is he getting those opportunities, he's making the most of those opportunities. For a big man, you want to be close to 60% from the field if you're only shooting around the uh, paint. Because those are the easiest shots to get if you're 6'8 and above. And those are probably the most efficient shots as well. So you want to be above 60 or it's a little, little eye-opening, which Julius Randle was the previous years. He wasn't at the 60% and above within three feet that he was this year. I don't know what he did. I don't know how he did it, but he just made strides finishing around the rim that even the most optimistic of Laker fans probably didn't know whether he could or not. But for the whole season, Julius Randle has averaged 15.5 points, 7.7 rebounds, and 2.5 assists, shooting 56.5% from the field 
and 70% from the free throw line. So this is his total year numbers when he was coming off the bench and mixed in with the 33-game stretch that he's been on since he's been in the starting lineup. And, I mean, they're not bad. That's about 16 points, 8 rebounds, which is not all-star level, but it's pretty damn near close. And so I do believe the Lakers' first priority when it hits uh, July 1st is to sit down with Julius Randle and just say, hey, we, we've seen what you've been doing. We need to sign you long-term. I don't want to wait around because waiting around in years past has kind of fucked the Lakers over with not signing good talent because we went after the great talent and we struck out. So I just think our first priority should just be homegrown. Let's sign Julius Randle to a respectable but reasonable contract, although even if it got into the 20-plus range, I would still either match it or just offer him it to himself. Because I do think there are ways to free up cap space even more with trading Luol Deng away with the Cavs pick since the Cavs have been sliding down as of late. It's making their pick look better. And the worse their pick gets, the more enticing it looks for other teams to uh, package it with Luol Deng because I believe right now the Cavs are, I think, a game ahead of the 19th uh, draft pick. So... That would be huge if it is able to fall within the 17 and 19 range because I believe teams will jump at the idea of getting a lottery talent that slipped to the 17 and 19 range, and I believe they will take on Luol Deng to get that. And I know Laker fans go over this tremendously, but Julius Randle's only 23, which means he has probably 8 to 10 years left of playing at this kind of athletic athleticism that Julius Randle's shown because it starts to go down past like 32. So he has 8 to 10 years left of him being this kind of player because he does thrive off of being quicker, stronger, and just faster than you. So I believe he has two more big contracts with the Lakers in him, just at least two to three. And not many players today in this small ball era of basketball not a lot of power forwards can do what Julius Randle can do he can get you a bucket when the offense breaks down he can play great defense he can pass he's getting better at passing the ball and he can score and he doesn't tire if you play him 38 minutes a game he's going to look as fresh the minute he steps on to the minute he steps off he is just in the best shape of his life right now and he's playing the best basketball of his life and many small ballers out there want to say well yeah, but Julius Randle's only doing this because it's a contract year. No, I don't believe that's just the case. I think he wants to... He might feel a little disrespected because a lot of the Laker attention goes to Lonzo, Brendan Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, so he kind of feels left out. I, f I believe that Julius Randle will always play with this uh, kind of chip on his shoulder. And it's just it's fascinating to see a player just work, 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 work the 38 minutes that he plays or however many minutes he's been getting lately. It's cool as hell to see. Now, realistically, I do not think Julius Randle can go out there and do what he did against the Cavs every single night, but I think he can do at least half, which would be, what, 18, 7, and 4? So, I mean, if he can just do half of what he did last night, that's pretty damn near close to all-star level, and 
I believe he will make strides within the three-point shot and the mid-range game, which will just elevate his talent even more. Now I'm going to try something new with this show. It's a pretty fairly new show, and I'm just trying different uh, different things with the Zotime show. And I've been asking a lot of you guys to get involved with the Twitter, with the at Zotime podcast, and just basically talk Lakers basketball with me. And I thought I'd integrate a uh, fan question segment to the Zotime show. And this first one is with a uh, with a guy that I did the um, Ball Talk podcast with. It's from my guy, uh, Kinzer Evan. And he basically just wants to know, the Lakers just signed Travis Ware to a second 10-day contract. Would you explore bringing Travis Ware back? And what have I seen about Travis Ware's game that I like? I love Travis Ware's game. He is a stretch four and can play some three if need be. He's a he's just a big dude that could space the floor and shoot the three, which is what Lonzo thrives playing next to. It's what IT plays. Uh, he thrives playing next to. It's just what NBA point guards thrive playing next to is a stretch four because it's a lot of drive and kick in today's NBA, and that's what he provides to the team. He's played a lot better defensively than I thought he ever did. Laker fans will remember him from Summer League, and I didn't see his defense be on par with how he's playing lately, but he's probably playing as hard as he can on both sides just just keep his contract up and just basically open up eyes to other NBA teams saying, hey, if the Lakers don't pick me up, I've been playing this well. I deserve at least a try or a open invite camp space to your team. And that's what I've liked about his game so far. Would I bring Travis Ware back next season? I mean, I would give him a camp invite. It just—it seems like we're going to be log jam at the power forward slash center position. We're going to have, hopefully, we'll have Julius Randle back next season. We'll have Kyle Kuzma. We'll have Zubak, and we'll have Bryant. So there's already four players right there, and it's gonna—I think we're going to try and get Bryant more involved with the power forward slash center position next season because he can shoot the three, which he has shown in the G League. So I just, I think there might be other roster spots that have bigger holes, like a backup point guard that we should look for next season over bringing Travis Ware back to be the fifth player in a four-man rotation. But if he's able to basically accept a two-way contract, I'm fine with bringing him back next season. This next question from King JJ two three four five is uh, who is the best player on the Lakers as of right now? As of right now, I think it's Julius Randle, and that's only because he has shown that he deserves to be the go-to player right now. You can certainly make the case for Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball being like the best prospects and the better players moving forward, because like I've said, they're only twenty and they have shown glimpses of being all-stars or even future MVP winners. But right now, Julius Randle's carrying this team, and I think he's the best player on this team. You can almost say, like, talent-wise, I guess Isaiah Thomas might be, like, like he's probably our best player on NBA 2K, but not a lot of people use 2K to measure um, actual NBA basketball, and you shouldn't. So Julius Randle is our best player right now. So, while I say that, Julius Randle has made those strides in the four years of playing the NBA to being our best player right now. 
So just think about what Lonzo or Brandon Ingram will look basically two to three years down the road. That's as good as Randall looks right now. I think both of those players will look even better than what Randall did at the age of 23. And the last one is from uh, ex-General George X. And it's not really a question. He just wants me to explain why I think LeBron James joining the Los Angeles Lakers might stunt the growth of Lonzo Ball. And while LeBron James is a great player and he's going to be heavily recruited and he, as he should, I just, I'm not too, I'm also, I'm very skeptical about how they might pair together because Lonzo Ball already has a very low usage rate and it would even lower if LeBron James joined the Los Angeles Lakers. It would just relegate Lonzo Ball to being a spot-up shooter. And while him becoming a spot-up shooter is going to be necessary if he's going to take his game to the next level, Lonzo Ball has to be more than just a spot-up shooter. He needs to be working in the pick-and-roll. He needs to be trying other things, driving and kicking. He needs to learn how to do other things because he can't just be a pass-first point guard in transition and then trying to throw lobs. He needs to be able to do more than just facilitate and transition. And I believe if LeBron James was to join, Lonzo Ball wouldn't be given that chance to grow in his offensive game, further delaying the progress of Lonzo. That's basically the trade-off right there. Is If LeBron James joined next season, there's no doubt in my mind that we would be a 50-win uh, uh, team. But it would almost be jeopardizing the long-term plan for some short-term success because Lonzo won't grow as much. But if we don't get LeBron, we probably won't win 50-plus games next season, but Lonzo will grow more as a player. So it's a catch-22, and I understand why certain Laker fans want LeBron, and I understand why certain Laker fans don't want LeBron. If there's a way that Lonzo can grow with LeBron... I'd be up for that. I'd be full on board with that. I'm just, I'm skeptical about the pairing, but I'm not going to shy away from LeBron joining if he wants to because I'm tired of the Lakers not making the playoffs. So I see both sides and I'm, I'm in the middle right now for LeBron joining with uh, Lonzo. Now let's get to the next segment of this uh, show. It's going to be the record watch of this, uh, of this season and the Lakers are currently 30-36. and 36. Like I said, we hit the 30-win plateau. It's been a long time coming. As of right now, the Lakers are 6.5 games back from the 8th seed, as well as the 9th seed, as well as the 10th seed. The race for the 8th seed right now is basically the tightest and the most competitive I've seen in recent years. Each team is way above 500. I didn't expect this to happen. I thought the race for the 8th seed was going to be 41 and 41. Right now, every single team is at like 37 and 30, which is insane because it obviously does show how great the West is that the 9th and 10th seeds are 37 and 30, and they aren't even in the fucking playoffs right now. In a different year, I think the Lakers would be able to make the playoffs, but like the race for 8th seed is insane. Like, we're 30 and 36, and we're not even on the playoff picture. That's how incredible this shit is. For us to make the playoffs, those three teams ahead of us would need to pull off a Chris Paul for the rest of the season and just choke, 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 choke. 
The San Antonio Spurs might fall out of the playoffs. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games, and I believe they're going to lose tonight. But even if only one team falls out, we, need th- we just need three teams to collapse, and asking for three teams to collapse this late in the season is a tall order with only 16 games to go, and I don't think, it, I don't think it's possible. So what I want to see the Lakers do with the next 16 games Obviously, try to win as much as you can, but I want to see them get to as close to as 41 wins as you can. So in the next 16 games, that would mean the Lakers need to go 11-5 and five during that stretch, which is not that far-fetched. We have gone 11-5 and five in 16-game stretches before this season. I mean, just look at our last 20 or so games. We are above that winning percentage. And, I mean, just look at the upcoming games. I'll kind of go over them with you. We play the Nuggets tomorrow night, and I mean, I didn't hate the Nuggets because they haven't beaten us at shit. We are responsible for them losing the Western Conference Finals in 2009. We're also responsible for sending them home early in the playoffs in 2011-2012, but they are becoming fired up over this Jamal Murray-slash-Laker beef, and it's hilarious. These Nugget fans think that they're some entitled franchise when they've won diddly squat. Now, in itself, I don't mind Jamal Murray talking shit. Like, it's cool. Like, players talk shit when they win. That's fine. It's just their fan base. I'm like, bro, what the fuck have you seen your team win? And that's a... That's always... That's not a great argument to use always. It's just... The Nuggets have never been relevant, so I don't know why these people are coming into Lakers mentions when they're not even in the playoffs right now. I believe like they're 10th or 9th, but it's just funny to see these other teams act like they're on this high horse when they're not that much further along the Lakers, and this is the Lakers' worst stretch of basketball. And it's seen it's looked at as a failure, yet the Nuggets are 37 to 30. It seems as it's it is it is seen as this huge success. And, I mean, we've beaten the Nuggets before this season. It was when Jokic got thrown out. I believe Millsap got hurt. And I think Mike Malone also got thrown out. We also just blew the game in Denver. So if we're able to win this game against the Nuggets, which we've already beaten them before, that would tie the season series at 2-2. Two and two. After this, the Lakers do face some favorable games in their last 16. These games aren't in order. I just... Went through the schedule and I just the winnable games popped up to me in my head. The Sacramento Kings, I believe that's a winnable game because the Kings are tanking. The San Antonio Spurs, we've already beaten them twice. And I don't know if Kawhi Leonard will be healthy during that stretch. That is almost a must win for the Spurs, the game we face them. But I do believe we will beat the Spurs that night. We've already beaten the Miami Heat. We just beat them a couple, like what, last week when Justice Winslow showed that he was a dirty player and kind of need Brandon Ingram in the groin. We play the Indiana Pacers, which we have beaten already this season. We play the Memphis Grizzlies, who have lost 18 in a row. I believe maybe about to be 19. And uh, it's just these games are very winnable. And then we also face the Mavericks, who are also tanking. And the Clippers, who, I mean, who knows at that point where they will be. Right now, I believe they're in the playoffs. But, 
I just believe we can win all those games. There's one, two, three, four, five. That's seven games right there, which we can win. So that would put us at 37 wins. If we fucked around and beat the Nuggets, that would be 38. Then we also have some questionable games going forward, basically based off of injuries and resting-wise. We play the Pelicans. That might be a loss if Anthony Davis is playing, but if he's out, we're going to win that bitch. They don't have the Marcus. I don't see a team of Rajon Rondo beating us. We also play the Houston Rockets on... Sorry. We play the Houston Rockets on April 10th. That is the second last game of the season. So they might be resting players. They might already have the one or two seed locked up, depending on how the rest of the season goes. There's no way in hell they're falling to the three seed. So basically right now, it's just a two-team race for the one and two seeds. If those, If that race is basically finished by... Game 81, I believe James Harden and Chris Paul will rest, which means that game becomes a very winnable game, which if we beat the Pelicans with AD out and then the Rockets with Chris Paul and James Harden resting, that's 40 wins right there. Oh, no, that's 30. Yeah, that'd be 40 wins right there. And then the Timberwolves without Jimmy Butler. I think that's also a winnable game. But while these also games listed above are very winnable, they're also questionable for us because we've had the injury bug, we've had Ingram miss some time, we've had Lonzo miss some time, we've had Hart miss some time. So we just need healthy bodies going forward. And if that happens, we will get to around 40 wins, which in my book, that's a win for the Los Angeles Lakers. That's a win for the young core. That's a win for the summer free agency pitch because we can just say, hey, we won 40-ish games without you. Imagine what we can win with you. And like I said, it's not crazy to see this team hit 40 wins this season. Who knows? We might fuck around and beat the Warriors on Wednesday. Curry's probably out. You never know. Maybe Kevin Durant or someone else gets injured or sick and they're out for that game and then we win that game as well. So I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of ifs scenarios regarding the Lakers' record and the rest of their season. Now we want to get to the Laker of the week, and that's on any normal week, it would have been Julius Randle for what he's been doing. But he's already won this award, and I've already talked about him in lengths for basically what he's done this season. So I want to give love to another Laker, and that's Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez has done a complete 180 in my books. Not even just this whole season, but in this past week. He went from shooting a fuck ton of threes and just camping out at the three-point line to where now he's trying to bang in the post. He's showing what made him successful in Brooklyn. He's shooting this weird Tim Duncan-like bank shot from like 18 to 20 feet, and it's dropping. And it's just he's showing a lot more skills as a big man instead of a catch-and-shoot player from three. In the past four games, Brooke Lopez is averaging 23 points, 5.25 re rebounds, and 2.75 assists. He's also shooting above 50% in the last four games. That's very close to the numbers he put up in Brooklyn that made him an all-star, that made him the franchise-leading 
player in points and I believe rebounds in the Brooklyn Net history as well. And Brooks' best output for a basically a stretch as a Los Angeles Lakers couldn't have come at a better time. Like I said, Ingram and Hart have both been out and they've they're responsible for points as well as rebounds. So it's just nice to see Brook Lopez being able to shoulder the load while the young guys are out and just hoop. He looks like the player that we traded for. He's not necessarily the reason why we made the trade, but we felt better about the trade because we knew we were getting someone with talent back. And here's just a, basically a forecast for this summer in free agency. If the Lakers strike out on anyone except Julius Randle, meaning we side Julius Randle, but no one else wants to come. Like uh, Paul George stays put in OKC. LeBron goes to Houston or Philadelphia. I think there's a 0% chance he stays in Cleveland. That's just going off of gut feel. I have no inside information. I just don't think LeBron's staying in Cleveland. Like I think it's almost a guarantee he's not. I might be wrong on that. Don't shoot me for that, but I think he's gone. So if we miss out on those two players, I wouldn't mind bringing back Brooke Lopez for a year. I think he has done very well this second half of the season, just like every single other Laker. We've turned it around. I think he can be a huge help for Zubak going forward, for Thomas Bryant going forward, kind of just showing them the ins and outs of the center position. He provides something to this team that's needed at the five position since Julius Randle can't shoot threes yet, which is a stretch big. So that means Randle can stay on the floor with Lopez because they balance each other out. And he is a half-court offensive player, so when we don't run in transition, we can throw the ball down to him. And he's been playing very good uh, defense as of late. He's In four of the past five games, he's gotten two blocks in each game. So he's playing more inspired defense. He's playing more in the post on offense. He's looking like a traditional, sh a traditional center that can shoot instead of just a center that can shoot who has limited post skills. He has just done a complete 180, and it's just good to see Brook Lopez going back to the Brook Lopez that came from Fresno, that went to Stanford, and then went to Brooklyn. Now I want to spend a brief, just a brief uh, moment on Isaiah Thomas. We can call this the should he stay or should he go now kind of segment for the pod. There are some games I watch Isaiah Thomas and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I want him out. I don't care. Play Caruso. Because there are some nights when his defense is just that bad. And when he's pulling up for three in transition, it's just... And if he's not hitting that shit, it's awful. Because it turns into a very selfish hero style of basketball. And if he's not scoring offensively, he's giving up, giving it up defensively. And we just look bad with him on the court. But against the Cavs, he looked in control. He looked like the old IT. And it makes me want him to stay as a sixth man. But... I do not know if Isaiah Thomas has the ego to come off the bench. I mean, I know he's doing it now because he doesn't have a choice. But if he's given a full summer and a training camp and his hip is 100%, I don't know if he has that ego to check himself at the door and say, hey, you know what, what's best for me, what's best for the team is me coming off the bench. I just think of Isaiah Thomas as a best for me kind of player. But I would love to see him as a sixth man uh 
off the bench. I think he... I used to think Jordan Clarkson would be a sixth man of the year winner off of the Los Angeles Lakers bench. I think Isaiah Thomas is double the player of what Jordan Clarkson is offensively because Isaiah Thomas shows a tremendous amount of basketball IQ with how he attacks in the pick and roll. When he's not pulling up in transition from three and he's just taking a catch and shoot three, it's almost money. And I just think he can get a basket at any time he wants because he's very crafty with what he does. He has a nice teardrop. He's, like I said, able to shoot, has a nice mid-range. He has all the tools in his bag. It's just you never know what IT you're getting. You don't know if you're going to get the player that tries to go Kobe in the fourth quarter and just shuts off his teammates or the assist man that he was against the Cavs. He had nine assists, and it just seems like every pass he made led to a basket. He's very good at drawing more than one defender in the post or during his drive. So there's someone open when he drives, and he did a hell of a job finding that open teammate. And that's when I want him to stay. But when he goes full ISO mode and full IT mode in Boston in the fourth quarter kind of mode, it's, yeah, I'd rather have the ball in Ingram's hands to close the game. I'd rather have the ball in Kuzma's hands to close the game. Randall, Lonzo, you name it. So it's going to be tricky moving forward because not only will we see if he's able to come off the bench, you got to figure out how much money are you willing to give Isaiah Thomas to basically come off the bench because he told the Boston Celtics last summer that they better back up the Brink trucks and the Lakers can't afford to pay a bench player the amount of money you would need for a Brink truck. We have bigger needs than Isaiah Thomas off the bench. We need to re-sign Julius Randle. If I had to give you my prediction on what's going to happen, I don't think he's back next season. I think he's going to continue this improved style of play, this team ball, this adapt. He just basically had to adapt to what the pl what kind of player he is right now and just how the NBA is right now. He can't do what he did in Boston last season, but he could still do stuff very well at an elite level, and I just think he's going to have to play team basketball going forward. So I don't think a stat line of 15-7 and seven is crazy for him to finish the season shooting about 40% from three. If he's able to do that, help the Lakers get close to 40 wins, I don't think we have the money to keep him because I think a certain team will say, you know what, we'll give you a one-year prove-it deal. We have a lot of cap space to kind of mess with. Come here help bring our team back to relevancy, which is what the Lakers are now. We are relevant, whether you like to believe it or not. Even though we aren't at 500, we still have 30-plus wins with 16 games to go. Keep hating all you want. So as of right now, Isaiah Thomas is probably not coming back to the Los Angeles Lakers. That's just my opinion. And it's not because we don't have a need for him. It's just, I think, the market for him, I just don't see him taking that much of a pay cut to stay and be a sixth man well laker fans make sure to follow the twitter page at, at zotime podcast follow along on soundcloud as well as well as uh, apple Podcasts, following the same names zotime podcast make sure you uh, check out the nothing but net radio station on a uh, dash radio it's going to be on tuesday nights aka bruise nights from 8 to 10 uh, p.m pacific time that's uh, the west coast for your dummies you can catch Hoops and Brews. They are a very talented, they are just two very talented dudes that speak about all things NBA. 
I think I thought my job was hard just talking about the Los Angeles Lakers for an hour. No, these two dudes watch every single game, basically. They look at every single stat, all the highlights. They crunch all this stuff up, and they just give their best opinion on each team, each player, and that's very tough to do. I only have to watch one team. They have to watch 30. So make sure to check them out on Tuesday nights. It's from 8 to 10, 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific time. You can catch me at 10 to 11 uh, Pacific time, uh, p.m. I'm on that time slot. That's the... Uh, that's the late. That's a late uh, Eastern time slot. I think that's like at 1 a.m. to 2 p.m. So if you're up on the East Coast, thanks for listening because I know that's a tough thing. But hey, until next time, let's see the Los Angeles Lakers beat the Denver Nuggets and the Warriors on a back-to-back. That would give us 32 wins. And I just I want to talk so much shit to Nugget fans after we beat them on Tuesday night. So until next time, go Lakers.